The scene actually gets funnier, but I had to cut it for time. <laughs> I know you young kids might not recognize uh, that show, but I enjoy that scene from Frasier, the Cheers spinoff from the 90s. Uh, in, the sne- in the scene, snobby radio psychologist Frasier Crane is having a miserable Christmas. He gets into a fight with his dad. He has to work at the station all day by himself. And his son isn't able to fly home for Christmas like he was supposed to. Lonely and sad, Dr. Crane finishes his shift at the station and makes his way to the diner for a Christmas meal, dressed in a torn sweatshirt and a ratty pair of jeans. In his state of undress, he is mistaken for a broke vagabond. He's treated to a meal by a fellow vagrant after he can't find his wallet and keys. When he protests the man's generosity, he is told that Christmas isn't for the rich and the powerful and the upper crust with their fancy foreign cars and houses, both of which Fraser has. Christmas is for the forgotten, the down, and, the down and out, the hard up. Christmas is for guys like us, he says. Now, it's a wonderful sentiment, Christmas is for guys like us. I might even believe it. But if that's true, why? Why is Christmas for guys like us? Why is Christmas for the broken and the broke, the depressed and the dirty, the lonely, and the losers? Why is Christmas for the sick and the sad, the unlucky, and the unloved? Honestly, I don't think the writers of Frasier thought much about the question. If you asked them, you know, why is Christmas for guys like us, they might say, well, I don't know, it's just kind of made for good TV. But it's a good question, and one we're thinking about, why is Christmas for guys like us? Well, that's also the subject of the Christmas story that I want to look at with you from the Bible this morning. The series that we're in right now, the Christmas sermon series that we're in right now, is called The Coming of the King. It's the Christmas season, if you hadn't realized that. uh, When Christians celebrate the arrival of Jesus, God's Son, to earth 2,000 years ago, Christmas is our time to think about Christ's future arrival to earth, or initial arrival to earth. But it's not just our time to look back, but our time to look forward as we prepare for Christ's second coming. Just as Jesus came once, he promises to come again to restore all things. And the way that we're preparing for Christ's second coming is by reflecting on the different reactions that people had to Christ's first coming. As you read the Bible, you can tell that different people reacted to the coming of the king in different ways. The Old Testament prophets eagerly anticipated the arrival of Jesus. Uh, Mary, for her part, was initially very confused by the arrival of Jesus. Uh, The Magi were were anxiously searching for the arrival of Jesus. Uh, Everybody in the story of Christmas had a different reaction to the arrival of the king as do the shepherds. The shepherds in the Christmas story are overjoyed, they're humbled, they're shocked by the arrival of the king. And theirs is the story I want to share with you this morning. Let me read to you Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20, the story of the shepherds. And there were shepherds, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You probably know this scene. It's been immortalized in Christmas pageants for generations. In fact, my brother Greg, my younger brother Greg, remembers this scene because he played a shepherd in our church's Christmas pageant years ago. I played a wise man. I'm not too happy in this picture. I can't remember why. If memory serves, I don't think I'm happy in this picture because I didn't want to be a wise man because I didn't want to have to wear my dad's oversized silk bathrobe (laughs) that he got from Japan on a business trip. The silk, I remember feeling kind of weird on my skin. I just wanted to wear my my little flannel bathrobe like Greg got to wear. But there's one thing I've learned in life. You cannot always wear the bathrobe you want to wear. That's God's word for you this morning. Amen and amen. Anyway, you know the scene. In the scene, an unnamed angel appears to shepherds watching their flocks by night. The angel announces good news of great joy, that a child has been born who is the Messiah of Israel and a Savior of the world. As the angel puts it, today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. The shepherds will find him nearby, lying in a manger. Manger is a feeding trough, basically, wrapped in cloths. The heavenly host then appears with the angel, and the shepherds receive a vision of overwhelming supernatural power. They then hurry off to find the baby. After meeting the newborn Messiah and his doting parents, they spread the word far and near of everything they experienced that fateful night. The scene is a Christmas favorite, even just for the intensity of it, even the humor. I mean, just picture it. There they are. Bored shepherds, taken turns, guarding the sheep from nighttime thieves and predators. The Judean hills are eerily and peacefully quiet, as they are on every night. Except for the occasional bleating of sheep, or rustling of the wind through the grass. These nameless shepherds are just sitting there, in the stillness, bored, sleepy, playing on their phones, scanning Twitter, trying to pass the time. Then, kapow! The curtains of heaven tear open and a vision we can't even fathom of an army of angelic beings singing and chanting exultantly appears above them. It's as though a hurricane just kind of appeared above them. No wonder Luke says they are terrified. No wonder Luke says that they go see the child. It's practically comical in its intensity, in its drama. Behind the intense drama of the moment, though, lies a question that theologians and lay readers alike have wondered when it comes to this scene. 
The question is, why the shepherds? I mean, of all the people God could have decided to make the birth announcement to this first Christmas, why these guys? Why not, you know, the press corps in Jerusalem? Why not the priest at the temple? Why not in the town square at rush hour? All those would have been more strategic as far as, you know, getting the word out. Why the shepherds? I think the answer to that question brings us pretty close to the meaning of Christmas itself, even the meaning of Christ himself, even to the very character of God. Now, to be sure, I have no special knowledge about why God chose the shepherds. This is all very speculative, what you were about to hear. Uh, I was not in the heavenly boardroom when God revealed his birth announcement strategy. But I think we can make some educated guesses, even based on the text. So why the shepherds? Well, first of all, shepherds are humble. Humble means lowly, earthy. You might not know this, but shepherds were the minimum wage workers of the day. Shepherding was a noble profession as far as it went, but they were poor, dirty, and smelly shepherds were. They worked long hours in the heat and the cold. They were isolated from their families and their communities. They were ritually unclean because of their work with animals. They were the nighttime custodial workers of the day, you might say. They worked hard. You're glad to have them around. They keep the building clean, but you don't need to know who they are, and you're kind of glad they're out of sight. So it's interesting, isn't it, that these were the people God sent his first birth announcement to, to the shepherds. If you pay attention to the angel's words here, to the announcement, you can maybe see that this might have even been the point. As the angel tells them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for whom? All the people. Jesus came for all the people. Jesus didn't come for some of the people. Jesus didn't come for, you know, a strong majority of the people. Jesus didn't come for half the people. Jesus came for all the people. Especially the types of people you might easily forget about. And to make his point, God's first announcement of his son's birth was to certain low shepherds. It'd be like the angel showing up at the docks on the graveyard, graveyard shift or at the diner serving Christmas dinner to homeless people, or at the orphanage, or at the foster home. Why would God do this? Because it's who God is. God is a humble God who likes humble people. The world does pretty well taking care of the proud or the privileged, but who looks out for the humble, the broken, the little guy? Like the homeless guy in Fraser says, Christmas is for guys like us. We see this all over the Christmas story, in fact. Jesus isn't born to royalty, but to a broke young Jewish couple. He arrives and is laid in a manger, a feeding trough. He isn't dressed in fine linens, a silk bathrobe that you might get from Japan, like my dad. But in cloths, that's all they had, cloths. Give me some cloths. Got to wrap the baby. We get the impression that the God of the universe is a surprisingly humble being, which is ironic, being the God of the universe, you know. A surprisingly humble being who likes humble people and even opposes those who aren't. I'm reading the uh, biography of Harry Truman, uh, the president from Missouri. Following the aristocratic presidency of FDR, this is what people so liked about uh, uh, Harry Truman. 
He was a humble farmer from Missouri, a failed businessman who looked out for humble, working-class folks. There's something Christian about that. There's something Christmassy about that. The Bible couldn't, even be, Bible couldn't be more clear on this point, in fact. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The angel chose the shepherds because he wanted to make sure that the humble, the lowly, the forgotten about heard the news. Jesus came to save all people, starting with the people we forget about, the shepherds, homeless guys and diners, guys like us. Shepherds are humble. Also, shepherds are simple. I'm guessing another reason the angel appears to the shepherds is because shepherds are simple, even simple-minded. There probably weren't a lot of PhDs in the fields that night or bookish intellectuals. Nothing against intellectuals with doctorates, let alone, you know, shepherds. But you know as well as I do that if an angel had appeared at an academic conference to announce the birth of God's son, he would have received a very different reaction than the one he receives here in the fields from the shepherds. Those academics would have gotten busy debating and parsing the meaning of the angel's words. They would have doubted the angel's academic credentials. They would have asked where the angel went to grad school. Hmm, where'd you go to grad school? Some of them might have checked themselves into the hospital with complaints about irrational angel visions. Doctor, I think I saw an angel, but I know I didn't. That's crazy. There's a pattern in Scripture, and even in life, of people who are too smart for their own good. Lots of people talk themselves out of God. Lots of people talk themselves out of what they've seen or heard from God. I do this. I talk myself out of God. I talk myself out of what the Bible says or things I think God might want me to do. I think, well, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, God didn't tell me to do that. That was just kind of my brain firing. Or, you know, I ate something funny. Or if somebody tells me about a miracle that happened in their life, I get all skeptical and I think to myself, you know, you you can think that's a miracle and I'm not going to say anything, but you might be trying too hard. You might be a bit naive. That's a confession. Now, healthy skepticism is okay, and I'm not saying Christians should check their brains at the door, but I think you get my point. We have to be willing to believe that God speaks to us and appears to us in the sky sometimes, because guess what? Sometimes he does. We can't overthink these things. Even Jesus knew this about God, that he tends to reveal himself to simple people like shepherds who are willing to believe crazy things. As Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. You have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. It's why Jesus appeared to simple-minded fishermen and uneducated women and why angels appeared to shepherds. He needed people who were simple enough not to overthink this. This is what the angel says. I am an angel. We're all angels. We're here to announce that the Savior has come to earth to save you. Don't overthink this. Rejoice and go see him. And they did. The shepherds were simple. They believed what the angel had to say. Lastly, another reason I think the angel might have appeared to the shepherds is that shepherds are desperate. The people who might really appreciate the message that a Savior has come were those who knew they need to be saved. This is the whole point of Jesus coming to earth, to save the people from their sins. As the angel says, today in the town of David, 
a Savior. That's who he is, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior that they had been waiting for for generations had finally come to rescue them, to save them as they had anticipated. Shepherds were more likely than not to know they needed saving. Like I said, shepherding was a perfectly noble profession, but it was a difficult one. Isolation, poor living conditions, meager pay, ritual uncleanliness. They were vulnerable to predators and unemployment. There were no shepherd unions or OSHA requirements to guarantee safe shepherding work environments. Shepherds lived at the edge of life and death. They knew more than most that there has to be something more. Shepherds knew that they needed to be saved. We forget that. Sometimes we forget that there has to be something more. Sometimes we forget that we need to be saved. Here in 21st century America, many of us have everything we could ever need. My mom asks me for a Christmas list every year. I'm 45 years old. She still asks me for a Christmas list. Now, in terms of material comforts, I have everything I need. I I never know what to ask for. I mean, I have a warm home with furniture and two-plus bathrooms. I have electricity and running water. My family has three working cars. I have more clothes than I can wear. I have pairs of underwear I haven't worn in years. I put some on the other day just so it didn't feel left out. I have tools in my garage I barely use. I have Netflix to watch and Lucky Charms to eat whenever I get sad. I have life insurance, disability insurance, health insurance. If you're as materially blessed and comfortable as I am, you too might forget, as I do sometimes, that you need saving. You might forget that you're going to die, and maybe even very soon. In fact, you might forget that you're already dead in your sins. And that the earth is going to be burned. And that we're all going to be judged. You might forget that we need to be saved. I suspect the shepherds were a little bit more aware that they needed to be saved. And that's why they reacted so immediately to the promise of the Savior. Oh, the Savior here is here. Let's go see him. By contrast, imagine... If the angel had announced the birth of Jesus in, say, a mall during the holidays, how would the crowds have responded? I'm thinking a lot of shoppers would have ignored him. They would have barely reacted, or if they did notice anything, they might have thought, wow, the decorations here this year are amazing. This is an immersive holiday experience. Or some of them might have, you know, casually acknowledged the angels, but maneuvered their shopping carts around him. Excuse me, excuse me. I have to get to the next store. Sometimes it's hard to remember here in America that we need saving by a savior. The shepherds understood that. So why did the angel appear to the shepherds? I'm speculating, but I imagine it's because of who the shepherds were, who God is, why Jesus came. Shepherds are humble, so is God. Shepherds are simple, willing to believe. Shepherds are desperate, know they need saving. So what for us, though? What do we do with this? Let's talk some application before we close with communion this morning. What does the story of the shepherds mean for us? I, think of, I can think of a few brief points of application from the story. Uh, first, embrace your inner shepherd. Embrace your inner shepherd. I know of no shepherds in the room today. I don't know any of you who watch your flocks by night. Jacob and Haley have ducks in their backyard 
Perry keeps pigeons, but no sheep as far as I know. But we still must become shepherds if we expect to really celebrate Christmas, let alone get saved. This can be hard because the world conspires to make us something other than shepherds. We don't want to be humble. We don't want to be simple. We don't want to be desperate. We want to be proud, smart, independent, and needless. Those are our heroes. Strong women and strong men who need nothing. But inside we are all shepherds. We are all dying. We are all sinners. We are all desperate. Stop pretending. Stop pretending that you are anything other than a well-dressed shepherd who occasionally uses deodorant. That's the only way to get Christmas. That's the only way to meet God. That's the only way to live forever. As James writes, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Embrace your inner shepherd. Secondly, go meet Jesus. After their vision in the sky, the shepherds have no hesitation to do what they need to go do. They turn to one another and what do they say? Say, let's go. Vamanos. Come on, vamanos. Everybody, let's go. It's from Dora the Explorer. You watch Dora the Explorer. Come on, let's get to it. You know that we can do it. Where are we going? To see the baby Jesus. You guys need to watch more PBS. Anyway, back to the Holy Writ. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. This thing which the Lord has told us about. I love that language. Let's go see this, this, this thing. We don't know what has just been announced to us. Our shepherd brains can't even fathom it. But something cool. Let's go see this thing, this miracle, this child. So what do they go do? They go investigate this thing. They realize what it is. Oh, it's, it's a baby who's here to save us. They find the child. And in allegorical terms, this is the act of becoming a Christian. The angels have just revealed the plan of God to the shepherds. They're curious, but they haven't met Jesus yet. They want to meet him, so they go and they become the first followers. They go and become the first believers. And maybe this is where you're at. You've heard about Jesus. You've embraced your inner shepherd. You know that in your heart you're humble, you're doomed, you're desperate. Now what? Go meet Jesus. Find him. Find him where? Find him in the story. Find him in prayer. Find him in church community. Find him in service. Find him in worship. Find him in baptism. Find him right there in the manger. He's right there. Meet me afterwards. We'll go find him together. Just because Jesus grew up and ascended into heaven doesn't mean he's not here. And it doesn't mean he can't be found. Go meet Jesus. Thirdly, lastly, spread the word. Quite famously, what do the shepherds do after they find Jesus? They go spread the word. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They spread the word. They go and tell it on the mountain. They aren't embarrassed or ashamed. They have no education or evangelistic skills. They're not Billy Graham or anything. They're just shepherds, but they don't care. They had just seen an angel army in the sky. Who's going to care what people think of you after you've seen an angel army in the sky? Spread the word. God doesn't care how smart you are or what you do for a living or what you smell like or what your evangelistic skills are like. 
if you've seen Jesus at all, he wants you to go spread the word and spread the word to everybody. And again, this is the point of the story. Spread the word to all people. This is what the story is about. The Savior of the earth came for all people. We need to be as willing to share the good news with all people as the angel was and as the shepherds were. And let's be honest, we all have people we don't want to share the good news with. We all have people who we think don't deserve the good news. We all have people we think won't respond to the good news. People like shepherds, dirty, uneducated, unclean shepherds. Who are your shepherds? Who are the people you can't imagine Jesus came to save? Or the people that you think, yeah, Jesus might have come to save that person, but I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Who are your shepherds? Poor people that you think don't work hard? Immigrants who you think need to go back to their country? Gay and trans people you think are taking over the media? Conservative climate change deniers who you think are going to destroy our planet? Muslims, who you think might be terrorists. Fundamentalist Christians, who you think are giving Christianity a bad name. Progressive Christians, who you think are rewriting orthodoxy. Rich people, who live on the backs of poor people. Obese people, who you think need to take better care of themselves. Relatives you can't stand. Neighbors you hate. Co-workers you want nothing to do with. Preachers who preach too long. Everybody has a dirty shepherd in their life. Everybody has somebody we can't imagine God loves as much as he loves us. Now, of course, the irony here is that we are all dirty shepherds. Every single one of us is a dirty shepherd to God. Some of us in this room realize that about ourselves. Some of us don't. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus came as the Savior for all people, including you, including me. Christmas is for guys like us, all of us. So go tell the world. Go tell everybody. Don't discriminate. God didn't, doesn't. Everybody needs to hear that Jesus can save them from their sins. I mean, think about it. If Jesus can save you from your sins, if Jesus can save you from your sins, and if Jesus can save me from our sins, Jesus can save anybody from their sins. In order to prove that Jesus came to save all people, God started with the lowliest of the lowly. God started with the shepherds. God started with you and with me, the shepherds, that we might be saved and spread the word. So if you've met Jesus, go spread the word. You are living evidence that God can save anybody. We're going to close this morning with communion, as we do on the third Sunday of the month. Communion is something the followers of Jesus have been doing for 2,000 years as a symbolic reenactment of who we are as God's people. We are his saints, his family, his children gathered around the dinner table, remembering how we are who we are. By Christ's death on the cross, we have been forgiven of our sins. We've been made righteous in his sight. When we drink from the cup, we're reminded of his blood, which was poured out for us. When we eat from the bread, we're reminded of his body, which was broken for us. And communion is a perfect symbol of this morning's message, too. We are all different here this morning. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different sheep fields. We smell different ways. We look different, but we are all shepherds. We are all poor. We are all needy. We are all hungry for the bread and the wine of salvation. And we are gathered here together.
in one field. 